Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, June 2nd, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topsher with today's headlines. Trump was reportedly recorded admitting he retained classified documents. Amazon settles Ring and Alexa-related privacy complaints. A decorated Australian soldier loses his war crimes defamation case. Mike Pence is reportedly set to announce his 2024 presidential bid. Senegal's opposition leader is sentenced for corrupting youth. Russia claims the U.S. spied on thousands of iPhones. BRICS foreign ministers meet in South Africa. A study finds seven of eight safe boundaries for human life have been surpassed. Australian researchers make a breakthrough in endometriosis treatment. And Canada announces plans to label individual cigarettes with health warnings. In our top story, Trump is recorded discussing classified documents. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Raw Story, CNN, Reuters, and The Independent. According to sources who spoke with CNN, federal prosecutors have obtained an audio recording of former President Trump. The tape purportedly reveals Trump admitting that he was in possession of classified documents, allegedly regarding a proposed attack on Iran after leaving office. Though CNN hasn't listened to the recorded meeting, sources say it suggested Trump wanted to share the information, but that he was aware of the limitations on his ability to declassify documents after his presidency. This comes as the U.S. Department of Justice, under the leadership of special counsel Jack Smith, is investigating whether Trump broke the law by retaining U.S. government records, some marked as top secret, after leaving office in January 2021. Smith's spokesperson Peter Carr declined to comment on the report. Former Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' book appears to mention the meeting, saying Trump recalls a four-page report by Mark Milley, Trump's former chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, which contained Milley's own plan to attack Iran, deploying massive numbers of troops, though CNN was told Milley didn't write it. Prosecutors have reportedly interviewed witnesses about the recording, which is said to be about two minutes long, but part of a longer conversation before a grand jury. General Milley has also been reportedly questioned. This comes as Smith has reportedly also acquired evidence showing Trump tried to obstruct the investigation by hiding documents from the government. This allegedly occurred after he was subpoenaed to return all classified documents in his possession. All right. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have a Democratic narrative spin from Huffington Post. Trump's defense in the classified documents case was weak to begin with, and this recording throws any chance he had out the window. Even his own former White House lawyer said this audio recording will be extremely damaging. The facts are that Trump knew he was breaking the law, told people he knew so, and continued to withhold classified material that belonged to the government, despite his and his colleagues' better judgment. Here's the pro-Trump narrative from Town Hall. Catching Trump on legal technicalities doesn't matter in this case. What matters is that these documents were unlawfully taken by a corrupt FBI. They haven't proven that consequential. And a significant portion of the American people believe this entire saga is a politically motivated witch hunt to prevent Trump from running in 2024. The establishment left and its corrupt friends at the DOJ and intelligence agencies don't care about breaking the big rules. Why should Americans care if Trump kept a few inconsequential pieces of paper? CNN brings us a cynical narrative spin. 
that two presidents, both Trump and Biden, have been called out for possessing documents they shouldn't have had should shed a light on the issue of overclassification, which has increased exorbitantly over the past decade, creating an administrative nightmare. There must be reforms to the flawed classification system. And occasionally we get a nerd narrative on this program from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 25% chance that Donald Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030. I imagine that all these classified documents are sparking joy, both for Trump and Biden. I think you're right. I mean... The thing that I don't get about these document things, and I think that might lend credence to there being something nefarious going on, is why would you even want them? What is it? Why is it so great? I guess I, in my head, immediately, I see either one of them and maybe, you know, split screen here, right, on their beds, uh, in their robe with a, a donut and one, you know, one person mm. has a donut, the other has some Miralax. And then right. uh, and they're looking at these documents and just like, you know, wiping one single tear from their eye like, oh, yeah, remember when we were going to nuke Iran? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe like what Biden's on his like banana shaped phone with with John Kerry, like telling him you wouldn't believe what Mitch McConnell said. And this. Oh, yeah. You think it's hot goss? I picture him laying on his stomach, head toward the foot of the bed with his legs up behind. Yeah. Him. Like maybe that's what kicking I'm, kind yeah. of capriciously. That's right. Yeah. That's what I'm. That's the. That's what I'm going to be thinking about when I go to bed tonight. That image right there. Trump yeah. and or Biden, both of them. Amazon settles ring. Amazon settles their ring and Alexa privacy complaints. Here are the facts as agreed upon by United Press International, The Guardian, ABC News and Reuters. On Wednesday, Amazon agreed to settle an FTC complaint for $5.8 million over allegations employees improperly accessed footage from its Ring home security cameras. Another $25 million will be paid to Alexa customers over alleged violation of children's privacy regulations. The FTC alleged that employees and third-party contractors had unrestricted access to Ring footage due to a so-called lax attitude toward privacy at the home security camera company, which Amazon acquired in 2018. According to the FTC, one incident included a Ring employee who spied on 81 female customers over a three-month period. It also alleged 55,000 U.S. customers suffered serious account compromises by outside actors due to device vulnerabilities. In a separate settlement with Alexa virtual assistant customers, the FTC alleged that Amazon had retained the data of minors, even after parental requests for deletion. Amazon, in a statement, said it disagreed with the allegations and denied violating the law, saying these issues were addressed before the FTC complaints. The $5.8 million will be directed toward customer refunds. Before 2017, Ring employees had unrestricted access to customer footage, with Amazon requiring customers to consent to video access in 2019. The FTC agreement requires Amazon to inform customers how much of their data employees and contractors are able to access. Thank you, Scott, for laying out the facts on that story. We'll start these round of spins with Narrative A from Taylor Vinters. Video doorbells and other web-connected surveillance devices are unmitigated privacy nightmares. They not only collect copious amounts of information about their users and those around them, but their terms and conditions make little reference to privacy laws and allow companies to take complete ownership over all data collected. 
This settlement was a long time coming, as Amazon's carelessness caused distress to an untold number of customers. And Narrative B comes from the About Amazon corporate blog. Privacy concerns started well before Amazon acquired Ring, but the company cleaned up the lax Ring culture out of concern for customers. There are inherent privacy risks to video doorbells, which the surging consumer demand for personalized and web-connected devices is evidently willing to accept in return for convenience. However, Amazon boasts a robust privacy and data management regime, which mitigates these risks. It's a nice sweater you're wearing, Melissa. You can't get me. I don't have a ring or an Alexa, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, I don't know why you'd want that in your home. Oh, my gosh. I, if I was a big enough deal to want that, I would not want the one that everyone else has, first of all. Like, I would pay extra yeah. to not have the big one. And you sometimes hear about these celebrities who get, like, in trouble because the cops check their own security footage, too. <laughs> like, I would say get insurance and don't yeah. get a camera. I, I'll tell you what. You could do secu home security South Seattle style, and that is get a pit bull. Our dog, I don't think, would do anything to someone who came in, but we would yeah. know someone was here. That's for sure. Yeah, they're at least a, a doorbell, right? It would be a, <laughs> yes, it's her own version of Ring. If there's a squirrel in the yard, we know about it. If there's a person, like I, if Brownie's chilling out, yeah. then no one is, no one is on our property. I know yeah. that. So that's yeah, pretty nice. Dogs. In Australia, a decorated soldier loses his war crimes defamation case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Al Jazeera, Daily Mail, The Sydney Morning Herald, The Guardian, and BBC News. Australia's federal court justice, Anthony Bisanko, on Thursday dismissed the multi-million dollar defamation case brought by the country's most decorated soldier, Ben Robert Smith, against three nine-owned newspapers. The Victoria Cross recipient and former Special Air Service soldier sued The Age, the Sydney Morning Herald, and the Canberra Times for libel after they depicted him as a war criminal, a bully, and a liar who broke the moral and legal rules of military engagement. Justice Bisenko, however, found that the publishers had proven most of its claims made against Robert Smith, including war crimes allegations, after a 110-day trial that cost an estimated 25 million Australian dollars. The newspaper argued successfully that the war veteran ordered or acquiesced in the execution of unarmed Afghan civilians, assaulted or authorized the assault of unarmed Afghans, and bullied a fellow soldier. This reportedly broke the moral and legal rules of military engagement and disgraced the country and the army. The full reasons will be published on Monday afternoon after the Commonwealth has checked the civil judgment, which is not a criminal finding of guilt, for national security concerns. Roberts Smith, who is now an employee of Nine's rival outlet Seven West Media after leaving the Army in 2013, received Australia's highest military award, the Victoria Cross, in 2011, before falling from grace in 2018 when the reports came out. Thanks for that report, Melissa. We have Narrative A from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Robert Smith brought this defamation suit to try to vindicate his reputation, with his lawyers arguing that he was easily identifiable even though the 2018 reports did not name him. However, this move has backfired now that the newspapers have been found to have told the truth. The judge has ruled loud and clear that the Victoria Cross recipient is a war criminal and murderer. 
Narrative B comes from Perth Now. This is certainly a victory for the newspapers, but the legal battle is far from over. Robert Smith's legal team is now assessing the lengthy judgment in order to pursue a potential appeal of the decision, which would go to the full federal court first and to the full bench of the federal court next. Mike Pence to announce his 2024 presidential campaign. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Reuters, Daily Wire, Daily Caller, Daily Mail, and CNN. Former U.S. Vice President Mike Pence is set to officially launch his widely expected campaign for the Republican nomination in the 2024 presidential election next week, competing with a growing field of GOP hopefuls led by his former boss, Donald Trump. Two sources told Reuters that Pence, a former governor of Indiana and a one-time party leader in the House, will launch his campaign with a video and a speech in the early nominating state of Iowa on June 9th. In addition to Trump, who is leading polls for the Republican primary, Pence would also be competing with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Tim Scott, Republican of South Carolina, former Governor Nikki Haley, also of South Carolina, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, radio host Larry Elder, and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. Since the end of his tenure in the White House, Pence has written a memoir, So Help Me God, and formed a lobby group, Advancing American Freedom. His allies formed the Committed to America Super PAC on May 15th to support Pence's upcoming campaign. In terms of policy, Pence is generally considered a more traditional Republican, as he is vocally against abortion, backed cuts to Medicare and Medicaid, and fully supports giving aid to Ukraine. Pence has criticized the Biden administration, calling it a disaster, and touted his actions while vice president under Trump. Trump and Pence's relationship soured at the end of Trump's presidency due to Pence's refusal to block the certification of the 2020 election results and the subsequent January 6th Capitol riot. Thank you, Scott. We have not two but three political spins, starting with a Democratic narrative from ABC News. The GOP is still deeply infected with Trumpism, and it is unlikely that someone like Mike Pence, who is despised by many Trump supporters, has any chance of winning the primary. Though he is a more traditional conservative, his views will be put to the test as he tries to distance himself from Trump while also appealing to Trump's base. The Republican narrative comes from Fox News. Mike Pence is a solid candidate for the Republican nomination as he has years of experience and possesses strong conservative values. Though Trump is certainly doing well in the polls, Pence, as well as some of the other contenders like Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, would also be good choices to lead the country. And there's a pro-Trump narrative from Breitbart. Pence simply does not stand a chance against Trump, who made Pence's career in the first place by making him vice president. Though Pence has proven that he is ready to tackle America's problems like Trump, he ultimately does not have the same flair as the former president. America doesn't want a typical Republican who will try to use the president's name to garner support. It does remind me of, uh, I mean, the last election with the Democrats just went buck wild. So, like, yeah. How many people were on stage? It was a lot. They, I think they had to have a second stage. <laughs> like that was the whole, I mean, they said uh, one of the keys to Trump winning back in 2016 was that he, there was this huge field that he was kind of take able to take down one by one. Um, but that's when he was kind of the underdog and then became a favorite by kind of by force. Now he's in front. Does a big field hurt or hinder him at that point? I don't I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out. 
we we shall see. In Senegal, the opposition leader Sanko is sentenced for corrupting the youth. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, BBC News, New York Times, Al Jazeera, Bloomberg, and Reuters. Senegal opposition leader and presidential prospect Wismani Sonko on Thursday was sentenced to two years in prison after a court found him guilty of corrupting youth, a criminal offense that includes using one's position of power to have intercourse with someone under 21. This comes as a then 20-year-old massage therapist accused the politician of sexually assaulting and threatening her in 2021 at a beauty salon, whose owner was also sentenced to two years in jail for the same offense. Sanko was cleared of rape charges. The ruling, which bars the politician from running in the 2024 election, as he was convicted in absentia and therefore cannot issue an appeal, has prompted protests as well as clashes between his supporters and security forces in the largest cities of the country. At a central university campus in the capital of Dakar, demonstrators set a car on fire and threw rocks at riot police who fired tear gas in response. Justice Minister Ismail Amadior Fall told reporters Sanko could be arrested at any time. Sanko's Pastef Le Patriotes party urged the army to join the demonstrations with protesters from the southern town of Zigan Shore, where Sanko is also the mayor, threatening to march to Dakar. These developments come a day after President Macky Sall vowed to ensure peaceful, free, transparent elections next year. In 2019, his main challengers from former Dakar mayor Khalifa Saul and former first son Kareem Wade were unable to run due to criminal charges. All right, let's start our narrative spins with Narrative A from DW. Usman Sanko is the victim of a politically motivated conspiracy planned by the Saul government, which has the clear intent to eliminate him from the 2024 presidential elections. Senegal's justice system isn't independent and is once again working to bar those that would work against the establishment in a healthy manner. Al Jazeera brings us Narrative B. Whether the Saul government is unfairly persecuting an opposition leader or Sanko is an agitator trying to evade justice, it's outrageous that this sexual violence case has been politicized by both sides of the political spectrum. The Senegalese nation should be discussing how to better safeguard the rights of women and sexual victims. Russia claims the U.S. spied on thousands of iPhones. Here are the facts as agreed upon by U.S. News & World Report, TASS, and Reuters. Russia's Federal Security Service, or FSB, said Thursday it uncovered a U.S. plot to spy on the contents of thousands of Apple-made phones, further claiming that the phone giant purposefully allowed backdoor vulnerabilities on its devices that facilitated the alleged snooping operation. The successor to the Soviet-era KGB, with the help of the Russian Federal Protective Service, said it found anomalies characteristic only of Apple cell phone users and caused by previously unknown malicious software exploiting vulnerabilities in the manufacturer's software. It added that thousands of phones registered to Russians were infected, in addition to devices registered to foreign diplomats from NATO member countries, ex-Soviet states, as well as from Israel, Syria, and China. The FSB alleged the U.S. National Security Agency, or NSA, was responsible, also accusing Apple of knowingly violating its privacy policy. It stated that this demonstrates close cooperation between Apple and the U.S. national intelligence community. 
The allegations come after the Kremlin earlier this year instructed local politicians not to use Apple devices in the run-up to Russia's 2024 elections over fears of spying from Western intelligence agencies. Neither the NSA nor Apple have commented on the allegations. And we'll begin this round of spins with a pro-Russia narrative from RT. This finding reveals that not only is the U.S. spying on Russians, but also so-called allies from NATO member countries, among others. It also reveals that Apple is willfully violating its privacy policy agreements. Despite Western lies and empty gestures about freedom and privacy, it turns out the Kremlin was right to be skeptical of Apple and order its officials not to use its phones. Well, maybe they were just snooping on 81 women in their living rooms. That is so objectionable. (laughs) At least in that story, it made it seem like there was a person doing that, not just like a bunch of people doing that. But I mean, that's awful. That's so disgusting. And so... I know you like you went black in the middle of. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yes, I had to cut that out. But it was it was uh, it's just so creepy. And like, I know people are creeps. And yeah, you know, if I was given unlimited access to everyone's data and videos, what would I do? I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't want that kind of responsibility. Yeah. So I, I would turn that job down because I don't want to know what I would do with it. Probably would be weird. Um, but I don't like that idea at all. It's, it's not, it's not good. Yeah, it's not. And I think it probably attracts a certain kind of creep to that position. That's true. Right. Yes. Yes. If they, right. They say a certain kind of person becomes a police officer, a certain kind of person becomes the guy who can monitor every woman's, uh, boudoir camera. The BRICS foreign ministers meet in South Africa. Here are the facts as agreed upon. By Reuters, Newsdrum, IOL, ADA 24-7, Bloomberg, and The Mail and Guardian. The foreign ministers from the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, the group of emerging economies, have gathered for a two-day meeting in Cape Town, South Africa, to hold talks on deepening ties ahead of the bloc's summit in Johannesburg in August. South Africa's Minister of International Relations, Naledi Pandor, who chairs the ministerial meeting, also invited 15 of her counterparts from Africa and other global South countries to attend a Friends of BRICS meeting on Friday. Pandor and her BRICS counterparts from Brazil, Russia, India, and China are expected to discuss the expansion of the multilateral alliance, which 19 countries, including Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Algeria, the UAE, Argentina, and Indonesia are seeking to join. The BRICS foreign ministers will also reportedly hold talks on local currency trading among the bloc's members and on steps aimed at establishing a potential common currency to decouple from the U.S. dollar. The meeting comes amid rising tensions between South Africa and the U.S. over the country's close ties with Russia and after the International Criminal Court in March issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin on charges related to the Ukraine war. Meanwhile, Pretoria on Monday granted diplomatic immunity for participants in both the foreign ministers' meeting in South Africa and the BRICS summit in August, saying the move does not override any warrant issued by an international tribunal. Thanks for that rundown, Melissa. We have an establishment-critical narrative from the Asia Times. 
The agenda of the BRICS foreign ministers meeting in the run-up to the August summit underscores that the era of unipolarity and the West's hypocritical liberal world order is coming to an end. This is reflected in BRICS' efforts to de-dollarize and the fact that their collective gross domestic product already exceeds that of the U.S.-led G7. The BRICS country's refusal to join the proxy war against Russia is further evidence of the new confidence that is gaining momentum among the global South nations. And here's a pro-establishment narrative from the Daily Investor. Despite all the BRICS hype and the supposedly eminent end of the U.S.-led global economic order, the reality is more complex. The bloc's composition is primarily characterized by geopolitical and economic rivalries that make the creation of a common currency extremely difficult, a problem that is likely to be exacerbated by adding more members. The fact that South Africa is flirting with the war criminal Putin, thus antagonizing the U.S. as its second-largest trading partner, also does not bode well for the future of BRICS. A study claims seven of eight safe boundaries for human life are surpassed. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Guardian, New Zealand Herald, and ABC News. According to the Earth Commission, a Sweden-based group of international scientists, seven of eight scientifically established safe boundaries for human life have been surpassed, with Earth entering the danger zone not only for a warming planet, but also for justice for the people that inhabit it. The study, published in the journal Nature on Wednesday, aims to establish several safe and just measures for the planet, diagnosing ailing environmental issues such as water flow, phosphorus use, and lack of land conservation. The seven safety limits in the danger zone include phosphorus and nitrogen water contamination, groundwater supplies, fresh surface water, the unbuilt natural environment, and the overall natural and human-built environment. Air pollution is the only one not in the danger zone. It also found environmental hotspots across the globe, including in Eastern Europe, South Asia, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, Mexico, China, parts of Africa, much of Brazil, and parts of the Western United States, adding that roughly two-thirds of Earth don't meet freshwater safety criteria. The group's justice diagnosis refers to the disproportionate impacts of climate change between different generations, nations, and species. The world hasn't breached the 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit warming threshold, but the study warns people are still being hurt by the rising temperatures. To achieve its justice goal, the group argues that 50 to 60 percent of the world must be home to natural ecosystems. And to achieve ecological rejuvenation, at least 20 to 25 percent of land needs to be devoted to semi-natural habitats, such as parks, allotments, and clusters of trees. Thank you, Scott. We'll start this round of spins with the Narrative A from Earth Commission. Access to life necessities like water, food, and shelter cannot be separated from the ecological devastation observed throughout the world. The evidence shows that for the world to reverse its growing trend of health inequality, the planet that sustains human lives must be conserved and protected to a far greater degree than it currently is. As the share of livable land shrinks, the number of people able to enjoy its benefits, most often the wealthy, shrinks along with it. If this doesn't change, soon enough, no one will enjoy its bounty. And Narrative B comes from Resilience.org. 
Because the fossil fuel industry has been behind many of the climate reports of the past few decades, fear tactic terms like fighting or combating climate change have actually decreased our individual sense of agency. Humanity should address issues like natural disasters and the warming planet, but to exclude the word adaptation from the discussion is as harmful as doing nothing at all. Everyone has to do their part, but we don't have to sit idly in fear as those in power preach their one-size-fits-all mantra. And we have another nerd narrative here from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's an 85% chance that there will be at least 2 degrees Celsius of global warming by 2100. Australian researchers make a breakthrough in endometriosis treatments. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, The Brisbane Times, Nine News, and the World Health Organization. Researchers at Sydney's Royal Hospital for Women have made an important breakthrough in endometriosis treatment. The development is being compared to scientific breakthroughs in the treatment of breast cancer that took place 30 years ago. Endometriosis is a disease in which the body grows tissue that is similar to the tissue growing in the uterus in other parts of the abdomen. While symptoms vary, one in nine women worldwide are impacted. The researchers have successfully grown each known type of endometriosis in the laboratory and are now able to test different treatments against the tissue types. The development will aid doctors in determining specific treatments for women and better understanding their future fertility needs. Jason Abbott, professor of obstetrics and gynecology, said, 30 years ago, we treated all breast cancers the same. We now know there are many different types of breast cancer and treat them accordingly. There is no cure for the disease, and treatments are typically targeted at symptom management. Symptoms can include chronic pain with menstrual periods, intercourse, bowel movements, and urination, as well as severe pelvic pain, bloating, nausea, and fatigue and can often lead to depression, anxiety, and infertility. Abbott hopes that with this breakthrough, doctors will be able to predict if a patient will suffer from an aggressive form of the disease and can then treat the patient with a treatment that will improve their quality of life and preserve fertility. Thanks for those hopeful facts, Melissa. We have Narrative A from the National Center for Biotechnology Information's National Library of Medicine. Endometriosis has long been referred to as the missed disease, as a lack of understanding of the condition has caused it to be left behind by the scientific community. This has fed misunderstandings about the condition and led to a societal belief that the symptoms are either made up or somehow the fault of the woman. These microaggressions against women have led to a dearth of policy action and research into the debilitating disease. Attention needs to be drawn to this life-limiting condition to improve the quality of life for the women suffering daily. And here's Narrative B from Chester County Hospital. The spotlight on women's health and wellness has grown bigger than ever before. Advancements in heart health and lung health have been impressive, but there is more work to be done. Scientists and doctors will continue to push advancements, but women must still do their part. Eating healthy, exercising, attending all annual physical exams in a timely manner, and continuing to push for their medical, mental, and emotional needs are critical. Our final story, individual cigarettes will carry health warnings in Canada. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the BBC News, Canada's official government website, Politico, Al Jazeera, The Telegraph, and Euronews. 
On Wednesday, Health Canada announced the country would begin labeling every cigarette with health warnings like cigarettes cause cancer and poison in every puff starting August 1st. As part of the regulations, king-size cigarettes will be the first to feature the warnings by the end of July 2024, followed by regular-sized cigarettes and little cigars with tipping paper and tubes, which must adhere to the new rules by the end of April 2025. The labels, which the government hopes will lower smoking rates from the current 12% to less than 5% by 2035, will reportedly feature health warnings in both French and English, and will appear in bold black text at the butt of each cigarette. In a statement, Carolyn Bennett, Canada's Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, said that the bold step will provide a real and startling reminder of the health consequences of smoking at a time when tobacco use kills around 48,000 Canadians every year. According to a national 2021 tobacco and nicotine survey, nearly 10% of people aged 15 and older smoke in Canada, with the rate of vaping hovering at 17%. It introduced health warnings on cigarette packets in 1989 and became the first country to include graphic images alongside the labels in 2001. Meanwhile, Sweden is expected to become one of the world's first smoke-free countries, defined as less than 5% of the adult population smoking in the coming months, with smoking rates having fallen from 15% to 5.6% in the last 15 years. Thank you, Scott, for the facts on that final story. We'll begin this round with Narrative A from CBC. The move, which follows a 75-day public consultation period, must be applauded, as it will help smokers switch from conventional cigarettes to less harmful alternatives. While no risk-free tobacco product exists, e-cigarettes, for example, are 95% less harmful than traditional cigarettes. Moreover, the stringent measure will likely lower the death rate for tobacco-related diseases and reduce the country's health care costs. And Narrative B comes from the National Post. If the strategy is aimed at helping smokers quit the habit, declaring war on smoking is useless, as there's no evidence that the labels will deter smoking for people with high nicotine dependence. Smoking is a willful personal decision, which is why grisly photos and heinous warnings already printed on cigarette packets have failed to decrease smoking rates in Canada. This latest move only favors e-cigarette producers and aims to increase government revenue rather than combat a killer addiction. And Narrative C is from the Globe and Mail. Instead of waging war on cigarettes, which unfortunately makes the intensely popular product more expensive and lucrative, Canada must cut smoking by slashing nicotine levels in both paper and e-cigarettes. Also, changing or limiting the available points of sale for cigarettes would further wean Canadians from addictive tobacco products and reduce smoking-related illnesses. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Why don't we just reduce the amount of nicotine? From what I understand in cigarettes, they've purposely increased the addictive properties to keep people smoking. Why don't we not do that. Can we can we do that? <laughs> that seems great. to me more effective and more humane than putting a diseased lung on my cigarette. Yeah, I think it's um it's like decaf coffee. You're like, well, yeah. what's the point of drinking this? If that's how all coffee is, then I would stop drinking coffee and I, you know, I, that's right. how I can relate to the cigarettes cuz I don't smoke, but It would be interesting to see if you if the only decaf coffee was available, like it was banned or became scarce. If you would drink decaf coffee, I don't think you. I, I think you think you wouldn't, but maybe you would. I don't know. Well, at this point, maybe it's such a you know Pavlovian yeah, it's a ritual. thing. Yeah. yeah. 
But I don't know. I, I've tried replacing it with green tea or mate or something, and it's just not the same. I mean, you spent 20 minutes bragging about your espresso machine earlier, so... I did. <laughs> 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 All I said is it, I folks. have one. Well, that's... <laughs> yes, but you said it in that tone of voice. I said yeah. it in a tone of voice that made it sound like a 20-minute long sentence. That's right. I, I did, <laughs> it, fe- yeah. it felt like 20 minutes. That's what I I'll say. I am that good at bragging. Thank you for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, June 2nd, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topsher, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. 